0: two girls one ghost two girls one ghost and we are officially haunted we are so haunted you guys i'm sorry if i sound hostile but we tried to record this episode two days ago then my microphone went like an alien took over and so we just redid it like literally spent the last two and a half hours recording we stopped just check just check again to make sure it didn't do it it did it again
1: Oh, guys! You have no idea what you're missing out. We had not only one great recording; we had two great recordings. We had funny jokes. We had scary moments. We had oohs and ahs and cries. And now, it's in the vault forever, and no one will ever know what we said. Like no one will ever know. No. Yeah, you'll never know. You'll never know the things we said. And it was the best episode we've ever recorded. <laughs> yeah, and we can say that with confidence because you'll never hear it. <laughs> oh yeah we're your ghostesses corinne and sabrina and we you know we are so dedicated to this that we're we just we want to make this happen for you so we're trying again
0: oh my god lord help me good god i don't even have any wine because i drank all my wine on monday and got drunk by myself (laughs) so now i'm out whoever has hexed us or corinne specifically can you just stop and just like take it off Unpin the voodoo doll. I don't know. I don't know what I did. What did I ever do to you? I don't know. (sighs) Well, okay. Well, we're here again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're trying again. This is the third time I'm going to apologize, even though it's the first time you're hearing it. But I said something very misinformed last week, and uh, urine is not sterile. So uh, Don't drink your pee. Don't be like Sabrina. To be fair, I never said I'd drink my pee. (laughs) But we did have a professional, a doctor, an MD, email us. And uh, thank you. She said, uh, she goes, dear ghost girls, urine is not sterile outside your body. Definitely not sterile once it hits the floor. Enjoy the (laughs) podcast, Alexia.
0: So if you (sighs) ever thought that that was something you can do, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Don't. Yeah. Sorry if you tried after last week. Um, bad news for you. I do believe now I'm going to give another urine fact that she'll probably Alexia will probably have to email us again, but I do believe that it's something like 90% or so of your urine is made up of water. But the other percent is made up of really awful bacteria that's not sterile. So the point of drinking your pee for survival is that you'll get some of the water back, but you're also putting yourself in risk of like infections and really other awful things. So that's why you shouldn't ever drink it. But if for some reason you're in a tight spot where you have to survive, only then is it okay to think about doing that.
1: Oh, but this is life, you know? You live, you learn, you make mistakes, you get corrected, and you uh, grow. Yes. I've, I've become a changed woman since last week, because I now
0: know urine is not sterile. I'm so glad. That's just one of the other things, like, one of the many things that we say confidently that's just not true. Yeah, I have
1: that problem, more so than I think you do, but I, I will hear something once, and I believe it as fact— and that's an issue. But also then I like
0: make up things in my own mind and I believe myself so confidently. That, okay, that happened to me. So normally I don't ever think, I wouldn't say I don't ever, but I usually say either I don't know or I'm not sure or fact check me if I don't know. Right. If I say something with confidence, usually it's because I've already looked it up and like done a bit of research on it. Um. No, but there right. was one incident where I had a freaking false memory and I didn't find out about it until <laughs> this past few in the past few years because i had a vivid memory of my mom leaving my brother and i in the car parking lot of ll bean in new hampshire and saying i'll be right back this was what i was supposed to be like four or five in my narrative saying i'll be (laughs) right back and then me saying to my brother do you dare me to go find her and i went into ll bean and this lady picked me up because i was crying and couldn't find her and brought me around and was like is this your mom is this your mom no one was my mom then i see my mom backing out of the parking spot And driving away and then realizing I'm not in the car and coming back and grabbing me. Turns out that is completely false. (laughs) What did happen was I was with my grandparents and my mom in L.L. Bean. And for like maybe 10 seconds, I got I couldn't see them because I got a little misdirected in all of the racks, the clothing racks. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: But my childhood brain dreamed up this horrible nightmare. And that was my truth. And in reality, your mom has no faults. She's no perfect human. She's perfect. She's perfect. Almost as perfect as the
1: Baudelaire's. Oh, I feel like we can connect with the Baudelaire's now because of all the unfortunate events that have been happening to us in this podcast.
0: Uh, I need someone to I really need someone to come up to me right now and say the world is quiet here. Can we form a secret society? That'd be so awesome. I think so. I think we should.
1: Okay, <laughs> we'll come up with our own code, which we are pretty good at, so we can do that. Um, beep boop, bop, 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 bop,
0: bop. What did I just say?
1: Boop 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 boop.
0: You agree with me?
1: I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> do you agree with us? Well, oh wait! Exciting news! I'm going to the Winchester Mystery House on Friday. Ugh, I'm so jealous. It will have already passed when this comes out. Um
0: but, but not only are you going on Friday, you're going on Friday the thirteenth. I know. And I'm going for the thirteenth hour. And I'm doing Which tour. is when, if anyone listened to that episode, it's on the Friday the thirteenth, on the thirteenth hour, which is one PM, they ring the bell thirteen times in honor of yeah. Sarah Winchester.
1: I'm so excited. We have to leave super early tomorrow morning, but I'm really excited. I wish you were coming.
0: Uh, I wish I was coming too. That sounds so fun, especially because it's a daytime daylight tour. I know. That's something I would do. Everything's just better
1: with you in my life.
0: Aw, Sabrina. Yeah. Thank you,
1: Chairmom. mom. I wouldn't want to struggle through
0: this audio issues with anyone else. We're like both. We're trying to smile, you guys. (laughs) But really, we're on the point of just throwing our fists through the concrete wall and ripping our hair out. And I just want to get naked and live in the woods.
1: (laughs) My internal being is just crying and sobbing and weeping and breaking down on itself. Alas, we are here and we will cheer each other on because we support each other more than anyone else will ever support us.
0: That's what I was just saying the other day. I was cracking up because I was reading all this stuff about just like Working with another person and being a partner and there was all this stuff about how people can be jealous or competitive or you should write all these contracts and divvy out tasks and stuff because of everything bad that can happen. And I was like, you know what? I don't think that that will ever happen to us because both of us are always like, you're the best. You did so good. I'm so (laughs) proud of you. You're carrying the team. I wish I could do more, but I'll never be like you because you're amazing. (laughs) So I think we're we're okay. We're okay.
1: We, yeah. It's funny. We'll get off a business call, and I'll just tell Corinne, "I'm like, man, you just spoke so eloquently. How I wish I sounded that
0: good." And then I'm like, "What? No, I felt like I wasn't even talking well. I thought that when you said this thing, I was just like, oh my god, it blew my mind." (laughs) So, this is a good, a good thing for both of us to go through. Yeah, it's a good thing for us to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I sound different from here on out, it's because we literally just paused to check and. The recording was still doing frickin' alien clicking. So, uh, Corinne changed her microphone, and we're really
1: hoping this time works. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Our souls are hurting really bad right now.
0: <laughs> I think you're first this week, right? I think I am. Um, ba let me find. Okay. So we chose to do Haunted Landmarks this week just because... Summer's coming around the corner Mm -hmm. and you guys are probably thinking about taking a summer trip, maybe a road trip, maybe a haunted road trip to Haunted Landmarks, maybe? Yes, that'd be fun. So here are a few ideas for you guys from Love Us love ghost girls the hollywood sign is one of the most famous landmarks in the world it sits on mount lee in griffith park so you can hike up to it so if you start at the bottom of griffith park which i believe is open from sunrise to sunset you can hike the trail up and then be at the bottom of the hollywood sign looking up onto it or you can drive beachwood canyon to get to the top of it so then you'll be on top of the hollywood sign looking down onto the sign And it was listed on every single article that I read about haunted landmarks. And it was so difficult
1: not to read, but it's crazy because I just did that hike two weeks ago and I had no idea
0: that it was haunted. I didn't know either. And I've hiked there a few times. So yeah, I guess we fared well by not seeing the haunting. The, the area around the sign is off limits. So you can't actually get right up next to the sign. So you can't like touch it or sit on it or anything like that. Right. Despite what Justin Timberlake did in Friends with Benefits, <laughs> it was built in 1923, and it read Hollywoodland, which meant which was meant as an advertisement for the Hollywoodland subdivision nearby to help the sales of homes. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Because you think it's like this big, like, oh look, television and film is here, moved Hollywood right. and get it famous. But really, it was meant as marketing for a neighborhood. <laughs> wow. It wouldn't change to Hollywood until 1949, so it remained Hollywood land for like 25 years. And the letters on the Hollywood land sign were 30 feet wide and about 50 feet high. And the sign peered down onto the city of actors and dreamers.
1: Or the land of broken dreams, because there are many people out there like us who uh, have failed acting careers or have given up on their acting careers. We turned our backs on it. We did. Before it turned its back on us.
0: My agent kind of turned his back on me because he told me I was <gasps> too fat and so he wouldn't sit my audition to be the pink power ranger. So, uh, what the heck is his name? Bitterness. Bitterness. It doesn't matter. It's the past life I've
1: moved on. No, it matters, Corinne. No one gets to speak to you like that. I will. take taking names and I'm going to go strongly yell at him. I can we... give you a whole Passion. long,
0: long list of everyone who's ever wronged me.
1: Well, I have plenty of time because I'm on hiatus, so I'll just do a road trip. Instead of doing a haunted road trip, I'll do a road trip to all the people who live around (laughs) you and yell at them. Remember me? (laughs) Just have your picture on a popsicle.
0: Right. Um, Okay, but one of the actors and dreamers was Peg Entwistle. Her full name was Millicent Lillian Entwistle, but she went by Peg Entwistle, and she actually looks so much like Kirsten Dunst. Like, it's almost uncanny. Reincarnation? Or doppelganger. (gasps) Ooh. I'll do a little pic stitch and maybe post it on Instagram so everyone can see what I'm talking about. But they really do look alike. She grew up in London in an acting family, and her father soon moved them to New York. She did theater in Boston and in New York. And at the age of 17, she made her acting debut in Hamlet. And the audience just absolutely fell in love with her. She was just maybe right place, right time or something. But everyone was just very much fixated on her. She could have just had—I don't know.
1: People have strong energies that are that other people are just drawn to.
0: That's true. Our friend Lee is like that. Everyone loves her. As soon as they walk into the room, they're like, "Who is that girl?" It's Lee. Hi, Lee. <laughs> Hi. Hello, beautiful friend. Uh, okay, so Peg quickly grew in per- in popularity and became a Broadway star in the New York Theater Guild. So she That's became amazing. successful very quickly. And then she fell in love with an actor, Robert Keith, and they got married, but their marriage eventually dissolved. He was, like, deceitful and angry and aggressive and in debt. And she basically found out that he had a child that she didn't know about. He kept it from her. But then she saw some sort of, like, payment or bill asking for um, child support. And that poor child being kept a secret. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. And actually, that child went on to be one of the lead actors in Family Affair, which was a TV show in the 50s and 60s. No way. It really was a family affair. It was. And then, ironically, as you guys will find out, the son that was in the family affair, he eventually completed suicide No. not long after his own child completed (sighs) suicide. Oh, my gosh. I believe is the story. That's so devastating.
1: To lose your child and then... Mm -hmm to
0: feel like you have nothing else well it happens yeah so sad so around this time the great depression hit and people were not really trying to spend much money on watching people run and dance and sing around on stage so (laughs) peg was like okay well what's my next move i need to figure out what i'm gonna do and hollywood was still booming it wasn't greatly affected by the great depression so peg packed her bags and she headed for hollywood to try her look on screen. She moved into a bungalow on Beachwood Canyon Drive with her uncle and her brothers. So she was right near the Hollywood Land subdivision and right near the Hollywood Land sign. She landed a few roles, but none of them really panned out. There was one where she was, it was a theater gig, but the actual show was only going for like a week and a half because they got a bad review or something like that. Ugh. One bad review. Just a bad review. It always happens to everyone. You get one bad review. So don't. Review us poorly on iTunes. So <laughs> Um, And then a bu- she had quite a few other roles where she had been giving a role where she basically had a very big part and a bunch of lines and her own storyline. But oh every gosh. single time, this was like four or five times that this happened to her. Every single time in post-production, her role would either be completely <sighs> cut or it would no. be reduced significantly almost to like a cameo.
1: Oh, that's so devastating because she probably each time was like, this is my big break. It's not going to happen
0: again. I, I can do this. And then
1: uh, it just gets cut.
0: Right. She just was every single time thought, this is my moment. And every single time, the same thing happened to her. That oh, that's a will really out. beat someone down. Yeah. Ruin your ego. And then also at the time, she had been working with RKO, which... That was one of the big five studios in Hollywood's golden age. And I believe the way the acting worked back then was it wasn't that you had an agent that would just send you to auditions. I believe these studios would contract actors. So you'd work with that studio. And then whatever projects that studio was working on, you would be considered for one of those roles. So it was important to be in one of the big five studios. Right. So she did work with RKO, but then her contract wasn't renewed once it expired the first round. Oh, no. So her roles and her fame declined, and so did the number of friends who stuck by her. Oh, which is so frustrating because it's
1: like, were those even her friends, or were they only around her because of her, oh, like, near fame
0: and money. Right. And that happens to people all the time. And I think something that people forget about is everyone's like, oh, well, if you're an actor, you chose that life, blah, blah, blah. Well, the same thing happens when you buy a Powerball or a lottery ticket. <laughs> you're choosing that life to potentially win a bunch of money. And if you win, do you really want your name plastered everywhere? And for your friendships and relationships to potentially change, and even if they don't change, you still might be thinking, oh, well, they're thinking that – Like I have a lot of money or whatever. You can still read into all the relationships. So, yeah, there's a paranoia that comes with it and you don't really know who to trust.
1: And I think especially with acting, it's such a vulnerable career where like when you act, you you enter or you utilize such vulnerable places in your in your emotion and memory and you become self-conscious and and people, you know, easily put you down and tell you you're not good enough and you become self-deprecating. That's my
0: favorite type of humor. (laughs) Uh, So, Peg was like, okay, I'm having a hard time being here. I don't want to be here anymore. So, she wanted to return to New York, but she didn't have enough money to afford the train ticket. So, she was stuck in this city that was just beating her down and breaking her and didn't have any escape. So, in September of 1932, Peg told her uncle that she was going to take a walk, and she walked up Beechwood Canyon to the Hollywoodland sign. She took off her coat. She folded it (gasps) neatly She placed it next to her purse and those items onto the ground, and then she climbed 50 feet up the service ladder on the letter H, looked out once more onto (sighs) the city that defeated her, and she leapt to her death. Oh, my gosh. She left behind a note saying, I am afraid I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago it would have saved a lot of pain. Oh my gosh, poor girl. I know. And she signed it P.E. with her initials, Peg and Twistle. And she was only 24 at the time. She was 24 years old. <sighs> a female hiker found the purse and the suicide note and the coat the next day, and she brought it to the police anonymously, so she didn't actually go in and say, like, oh, here is everything. She just left it on, I believe, the steps of the police department, and they, they found it. And two days later, after Peg's death, police found her body in the brush at the bottom of Mount Lee, but they didn't know Peg's identity, so they ended up printing the suicide note in a description of Peg in the newspaper to try to see if anyone knows who she is. Wow. And her uncle recognized it immediately and contacted the police and said he'd been searching everywhere for Peg for the past two days. She'd gone off on a walk and oh. she never returned, so just horrible horrible
1: two days and you don't know where to look or where she could have gone
0: no and her brothers were out there with her too so she had all this family panicking and little did they know that as they were walking by or driving by the hollywood land sign she was just below that's so sad and then even more sad well not even more sad but horrible In true Hollywood movie fashion, her uncle was sifting through the mail a few days later, and he discovered a letter that had been mailed the day before Peg's tragic death that was offering her the lead role in the Beverly Hills Playhouse. No. And then what's more is the role that she was being offered was of a beautiful young woman who in the final act of the play commits suicide. That is, I mean, that is the universe being very cruel. I know. Ugh wow so if it's just been mailed a few days before or if she had just not taken that walk she may oh, have no. gotten the letter Ugh. but alas that did not happen and peg's funeral was held at the wm strather's mortuary in hollywood and then her body was cremated and sent to glendale ohio for burial with her father in oak hill cemetery oh. and while her remains are in ohio her ghost still haunts griffith park it has been seen by park rangers and hikers and and actually, the ghost stories first appeared in the 1940s because the letter H, which was the letter that Peg had uh, jumped off of, right? the letter H just collapsed unexpectedly, so people were kind of like, oh my gosh, Peg must have done it. She, she knocked it over. She knocked it over. She probably wanted to keep or prevent anyone else from doing what she did. That's very true. And I actually, I'm going to go into a few of the accounts uh-huh. or encounters that people <laughs> had with Peg's spirit. And one of them I think is like goes with that, it was kind of it seems clear that she was trying to warn people and get people away from the sign. Wow. Um, people have said that they see a sad looking woman in nineteen thirties clothing who vanishes when they approach her. And there's also a very strong smell of gardenias, which is Peg's signature perfume. So the gardenia smell will just waft through the area. Wow, which is a very common way
1: the spirit that spirits appear and they show, or they right. It's like you smell. It's a very as a non-threatening
0: sign. way to make right. their presence known. Exactly. Um She's most frequently seen late at night, and then she also fevers foggy nights. Ooh, out. because it's like a blending in thing, or I think it's because she is a woman of the theater and of film, and a foggy night is the perfect setting, dramatic effect for a spooky, ghostly actress. Right. So now a few of the stories that happen to people. In 1990, a couple was walking on the trail near the Hollywood sign. So, at this point, it's not Hollywood Land, it's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And their dog started acting really bizarre. And their dog before was like happy and running around, smelling things, having a good time. And then all of a sudden the dog started crying and saying very close to them. Oh, no. So, they look around and they spot a woman in 1930s clothing walking nearby. And they watch her for a little and they're like, okay, she might be on drugs or something because she was oh. kind of walking aimlessly and sort of was in a daze. So they're watching her and then suddenly she just whew, disappeared. Oh my gosh, that's so terrifying to witness. Yeah. And they had no idea that any of this had happened. I mean, we were, you're still living in LA, but I was out in LA for six and a half years and I never knew. And had no Even idea. having gone on the right. hike that anything like this happened. And they didn't know either. So they were completely freaked out. And then another instance happened to a female jogger, who was running on the trails, and she was overcome by the scent of gardenias. And then she quickly spotted a blonde woman that was quote walking on air. <laughs> so she sprinted the other way. That is the flight in action, and what Seriously, I would do she's too. Like,
1: nope. I I'm know not nothing either. good
0: will come of me sticking around. Yeah. Jeez. Park rangers have also reported that the motion detectors will go off. So they have because they don't want people to trespass. So Located at the sign, there are motion detectors that will go off and they'll tell you where the person is. And one ranger said that there have been multiple times where he will be at the sign checking for intruders after the alarm goes off. And the motion detectors will be going off saying that someone is standing five feet from him. (gasps) No. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no way. Can oh you my,
0: imagine? Gosh.
1: No, I don't want to ever imagine that. I seriously, every day that passes that I don't see a ghost is a victory for me.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's so just so scary. Freaky. It's so scary. It's like when a stranger calls. Oh, the you calls can't come in within, within the house. Another, another encounter happened to four friends who had decided to trespass and touch the sign. And I believe they succeeded. I think they did actually get to touch the sign, but then they turned back to go to their car, and one of them slipped and started to slide down the hill. And for anyone who has not been up close to the Hollywood sign or really gotten a good look at the mountain that it's on, it's very steep. Yeah, and rocky. The hiking trail is cut into the mountain so that you can walk up, but if you fall down the brush, it's a pretty steep incline. Yeah. So one of them starts slipping and sliding down the hill, But then he eventually catches his footing and he makes his way back up to his friends. And then they're like, okay, we really need to leave. This is, like, not fun anymore. It's getting dangerous. So they start heading to their car when suddenly a woman wearing a white dress and a white veil and heels is below them on the mountain. And she starts walking towards them effortlessly (laughs) and silently. That's terrifying. So a woman, picture this, a woman in heels... And a dress and a veil is staring at you and walking at a steady pace up a 90-degree incline towards you. Oh, and she's probably unblinking and has, like, a vacant stare. Yep. So they're like, what the shit? And they start calling out to her, but she doesn't respond. She just continues to steadily walk towards them. So they freak out and they run to their car. And the woman pursued them all the way until they got over the fence way back onto public land and they had no idea of anything that was happening at the hollywood sign either but apparently they googled woman in white and then that's when they figured out that it was peg wow and while most of the encounters are with peg wandering the trails some people have reported seeing her actually standing at the top of the letter h and then leaping (gasps) and disappearing into thin air oh my god that is so scary could
1: you imagine seeing that and and even if she vanished in midair you would still panic and think that like maybe your brain malfunctioned for a moment and it and someone actually did commit suicide right in front of your eye
0: yeah i can't even imagine the panic yeah because you would think it's real
1: and you don't know what to do like you don't know how to especially oh, so to, yeah
0: if they are disappearing it's it's that like well did my mind just make me not see something because it's too painful what I just actually did witness or did I see a ghost? It's like Right. You know? What how do you react? How do you, you don't know how to process it? Jesus well scary. you could potentially see it because of course you can drive along Beachwood Canyon or you could hike up yourself, but there are mm-hmm. also guided tours. I believe yeah. they're during the day.
1: Yeah. I think there there's also horseback riding
0: tours. There is a abandoned zoo in Griffith mm-hmm. Park as well. Ooh, and in October, they might actually, I don't know, they might do different tours in October for Halloween. But another thing that they do in Griffith Park for Halloween, they do a haunted hayride in October and highly recommend. It is so fun. Oh, cool. I've I don't get been. scared that easily when it comes to that sort <coughs> of stuff. So I really enjoy watching everyone else scream and panic. And actually, Sarah Sarah Highland was in my cart last time I went. No way. That's so cool. So I was cool. next to a modern family star. Oh,
1: Awesome. Uh, speaking of Sarah, this is a different Sarah, not Sarah Highland. There's a girl mm-hmm. named Sarah, and she posted on our Facebook group and was like, Corinne and Sabrina should do a Ouija board while they record one of the episodes." And I was like, "Uh, what the
0: hell are you trying to do with Sarah?
1: No, no, thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Why would you
0: say that? Right? Oh, I know, I know who you're talking about. I think she's a practicing witch. I believe so.
1: Sarah, we will not do a Ouija board on this podcast. No, uh, <laughs>
0: we won't. We won't. We don't want to get possessed. Someone thought that I was possessed. I'm sure the other day, and that someone right. was my roommate because I bought a <laughs> sleeve of cookie dough, and I fucking went to town. I ate the whole thing in like 24 hours. Oh my god, I'm just, that's. I honestly, I commend you for that. That is very impressive. What I should have just possessed myself with was HelloFresh because that would have been much better to gorge on. And guilt-free. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. And there's something for everyone with HelloFresh's selection. There are three plans to
1: choose from. There's classic, veggie, and family and because I'm a vegetarian, I chose veggie. And you chose classic because you need your meat. I need my meat. Where do you get your meat, Sabrina? Uh, Corinne, I get plenty of meat.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't get any meat, so that's why I have to order it through HelloFresh. Have to get it somewhere. (laughs) If you you know anyone that has meat, let me know.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, Uh, we're really being true to our podcast title today.
0: This is probably supposed to be a friendly, family-friendly ad, but... (laughs) It's a wink, wink. Only those who get it. You can feel confident when cooking HelloFresh with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards, which let me tell you, that is so helpful. HelloFresh believes cooking should
1: be simple and convenient, not a chore. So all of the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits. So you know which ingredients go with which recipe.
0: And it's also delivered right to your door in a recyclable insulated package. So if you're at work and you're concerned that you're not going to be home when it's delivered, it's fine because it's sitting in a little refrigerated box. Spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping each week and get that time back to do more of what you love, like listening to this podcast or drinking urine. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: love you know what I love about it is that they create such unique recipes that I feel like I wouldn't be able to come up with my own on my own. So I actually this past week had one of my meals was a Green pea pesto penne, and it was so good.
0: I was thinking that same thing. I made a, it was a peppercorn steak dish, and I was looking at it, and I was, like, sprinkling chimes or whatever, doing whatever I was supposed to do, and I was like, you know what? This looks like something that I would eat in a restaurant. I have a full, balanced meal. I look like a freaking chef. Professional chef Corinne. My new hobby. I'll start a cooking podcast.
1: Ooh, so... For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code TGOG30. Again,
0: for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, just visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code TGOG30. HelloFresh. <laughs> that was a good one.
1: <laughs> um, it's my turn now, right? That's yes. how this works? That's okay.
0: typically how we do things. Well, Corinne.
1: I chose Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, and I have to say, I'll preface this, I chose Statue of Liberty because of you.
0: Ah, thanks for thinking about me.
1: I think about you all the time, dude. It's crazy.
0: It's creepy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm admitting I'm in love with you, is what I'm saying. Get in
0: line. <laughs> I hear it all the time.
1: <laughs> okay, so first I'll talk about Ellis Island, and I think most people are familiar with it. It was the gateway for over... 12 million immigrants to the United States for over 60 years from 1892 to 1954. And it's a landmark in the U S primarily known for its positivity and the hope it gave to so many people for a better life. But it is also known, or it is also a place of a lot with a lot of dark history that I don't think most people know, and maybe it's expected, but I don't think people know in depth what is what happened there and how many people have died there. So before the island was actually a place for immigrants, it was an island used to hang convicted pirates, criminals, and mutinous sailors in the early 19th century. Pirates. pirates. This is a hint into why I chose Statue of Liberty for you. <laughs> uh, it was referred to as Gibbet Island after the wooden post, aka the Gibbet, which is where the, where the bodies of the deceased were displayed, oh. which
0: I didn't know that oh. fact until this. No, and I was thinking when you first said Gibbet, I was like, that's such a pleasant word, Gibbet you bitch.
1: but it's not <sighs> it's not so the last hanging took place in 1839 and then the island briefly served as a navy munition depot and it wasn't until april of 1890 that the, that the federal government took control of immigration and that they decided to build america's first federal immigration station and thought ellis island would be perfect for that and so they began construction and the building opened on january 1st of 1892 And it opened its doors to millions of immigrants every year. And I think the most immigrants that they ever saw in one day was around 12,000, which is just so many. Yeah,
0: that's a lot of people coming through.
1: Right. On June 15th of 1897, a mysterious fire broke out. Ghosts? No, it was probably faulty wiring. But we like to blame everything on ghosts. I know. I want to be
0: like fairly odd parents where they're like, fairies! It's ghosts!
1: (laughs) But the fire did burn all of the structures on Ellis Island completely to ash. There were no deaths reported, but most of the immigration records dating back to 1855 were completely destroyed, which is so devastating because, I mean, think about all the people who now are try- trying to trace back the genealogy, and I think it's 40% or something of Americans can trace their-, their ancestry back through Ellis Island. But imagine if you're trying to do that, and the records were just destroyed. Wait, do you have
0: do you know relatives
1: i do my great-grandmother actually came over through ellis island and we actually have her stamp document from ellis island
0: you should get it framed
1: i know i tried to get it from my mom but she was like when i'm dead you can have (laughs) it so uh i'll wait (laughs) i'll wait
0: i'll wait i'll wait until she dies (laughs)
1: I love you, mom. She doesn't listen to this. Okay. So they rebuilt a fireproof building, which opened on December 17th of 1900. And as many of us know, the journey to Ellis Island was a long and treacherous one, and it was pretty brutal. Uh, It took weeks. So I think the longest journey took 12 weeks. And then the shortest journey after I think years and years and years of people traveling across the Atlantic, it took seven to 10 days. But regardless, the ships were really cramped, people got sick, and the conditions weren't altogether pleasurable, especially not for those traveling in third class. And keep in mind, a ticket to travel to the, to America was pretty expensive for the time, and a mm-hmm. lot of people were were fleeing countries of war, famine, and they were going to America to find jobs, so a lot of them didn't have that much money. But if they were lucky enough to get onto the ships, the third class accommodations were terrible it consisted of several hundred beds no more than two feet wide cramped so tightly together that people could not stand there was no ventilation and there was inadequate sanitary facilities so it just i mean imagine being in that space for 12 weeks i can't right well actually and in 1911 someone remarked that it was a marvel that human flesh
0: could endure those trips oh oh if anyone's saying that about anything that you're doing you should not do it. Oh, no. but they needed to come over. I know. And that,
1: and that's the thing that you spend weeks and weeks on these ships and then you arrive and you're, you know, you are finally stretching your legs for the first time in a few weeks, you might be sick or cramped and, and workers at the Island would do this method called the six second medical examination as immigrants disembarked from the ships. And what that entailed was they would just observe immigrants and based on the way that they were walking, based on their appearance, they would decide and mark them with chalk if they thought they were ill, if they were disabled, if they were mentally ill, if they would be a nuisance on in America and would be arrested. You
0: can't tell any based of those things. on names.
1: appearance.
0: Not in six yeah. seconds. No. That's not the way the world works.
1: No. I mean, it, it's just crazy. So they would mark people with chalk, like for different illnesses or warning signs. And some people were actually smart. I think over the years, it probably got back to Europe and other immigrants traveling to America, that if you were marked with chalk, you wouldn't be admitted into the US or into America. So people, if they were marked, would put their clothing on inside out to try to trick immigration officers. That's smart. Yeah. Typically, immigrants would spend two to five hours at Ellis Island, and they were asked around 29 questions, including their name. And they would check it with the manifest of the ship to make sure that they're right, the right that they were the right person. They'd ask their occupation and how much money they carried because they wanted to make sure that people would not be a drain on the American economy and that they could help, that they could, that they could provide for themselves. So if approved, they would be admitted into America, but not everyone was so lucky. There were about 3,500 would be immigrants that died on Ellis Island while being held in the hospital facilities. So if they were marked as ill, they would be taken to one of the 29 hospital facilities, and psychiatric wards on the island in hopes that they would be cured and then, once they were cured, be admitted into America. Mm -hmm. But so many people were unable to be cured, and the doctors really did try. But, I mean, think about it now. There's still so many diseases that don't have a cure, and... A lot of people died. So because of this, Ellis Island was sometimes known as the Island of Tears or the Heartbreak Island. And between 1909 and 1911 alone, over 420 people died in quarantine in two separate hospitals on the island. And 85% of those were children under the age of 13.
0: No way.
1: It's so devastating. Oh
0: my God. Can you imagine coming? You make the trip, the 12 week journey in cramped conditions. You probably have freaking blood clots now. Right. And you get off and- your child immediately gets ripped away from you.
1: That, I mean, that's the most devastating part is that family members were torn away from each other. And there's a story of a woman whose parents with her older brother came through Ells Island. But when they got there the brother or their son was showing symptoms of illness so that he was taken to a hospital facility on the Island. And the parents were only able to look at him through this tiny circular window in the hospital and they watched him die, and then they watched his body be carried off on a gurney down a long hallway, and then that was it. They had no idea what happened to him after that, and they had no idea where he was buried or where they took the body.
0: Oh my god, I, oh, I can't it's even imagine. So-
1: Heartbreaking. The pain and then in the
0: heartbreak.
1: And then also they're immigrants, so they probably don't you know, there's a language barrier. They were just admitted into America. They don't wanna do anything that would
0: Right. If you look at a guard funny, all of a sudden they mark you. It's like standing at line in line for the bar and the bouncers <laughs> they tag you. Don't wanna like, be that you can't come in hell. Yeah. It's devastating.
1: But actually this story specifically, sixty years later, uh the daughter who was born in the US reached out to someone who worked in records of Ellis Island and found out where her brother and their son was buried. So, I mean, they spent 60 years without any knowledge, Yeah, which is just so devastating. Well, at
0: least they have some records there. So people can find after that.
1: Uh, so the complex served as a psychiatric hospital for soldiers in 1924 and was later turned into an internment camp for nearly 8,000 Nazi sympathizers during world war II. Uh, and then it was closed for good in 1954 and was restored and reopened to the public as an immigration museum in 1990. And considering all of that history and all the emotional – and all the emotions that went through that building, is it really a surprise that there are ghosts and it's one of the most haunted places in the U.S.?
0: Definitely not, because we hear that all the no. time where there are places yeah. where just a lot of traffic came through or something so devastating happened or right. – like a memorial burial ground, whatever. Those, yeah. The vibes, the energy is different there.
1: Exactly. Actually, there were two different forms of ghosts on Ellis Island. And the first one is like we were saying, it's the spiritual energy, the strong emotional resonance that was left behind. And a lot of people will actually go into the museum and immediately be struck with strong feelings of mourning, sadness, and feel unwelcome there just because there's so much that has gone through those walls and is absorbed into the land right yeah and then the second type uh our spirits are the more physically conjured ghosts so like spirits like peggy where you physically see their forms Mm -hmm. former chief ranger dean garrett would often hear sounds of children's voices from the Great Hall, and every time he would go to check on it, no one was there. He would hear like furniture moving around along with children's laughter, and he'd go and check, and nothing was moved, and there would be no one there.
0: It's just the kids. They're just trying to play and have fun.
1: Well, that's the thing. Most of the spirits are believed to be children. Uh, People often hear doors opening and closing on their own, sounds of muffled crying. They should call it Dead Child Island. Oh, that's so No, I so sad. So the hospital facilities were closed off for a long time just because there was a ton of debris falling and they were just still trying to raise money in order to restore them. But in October of 2014, the hospital complex opened up for hard hat tours of the hospital facilities where there's, um, an art exhibit by J R he's a French artist, uh, And all the money raised from the tours is actually contributing to the $300 million needed for restoration.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's nice.
1: Yeah, so eventually they'll be able to restore those buildings and more people have access to them. I mean, there's just so so much history there, you know.
0: That's all 300 million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. The
1: tour takes you through the contagious disease ward, the laundry room, the doctor's quarters, the autopsy theater, the kitchen, the mattress autoclave room where they would sterilize mattresses of patients who had died, the power plant, and then the dormitories for TB patients. And there are a lot of people who have had experiences while on these hard hat tours and Ooh. There's a girl named Allison who went on the tour in April, 2015. And when they reached the TV dormitory rooms, weird shit started to happen. So people were encouraged to look into the mirrors, which is like, what the heck? That's a bad idea. We all know those are portals for the paranormal. So don't do it. But people did. And they were looking into the mirror and taking photos and selfies. And all of a sudden, someone else in the group goes, do you hear that? And Allison realized she was saying,
0: get out, get out, get out. Oh my god, that's so creepy.
1: But it wasn't her saying, like, it was her saying it, like, her voice, but it wasn't her. Like, something was coming through her to say it.
0: Ew! Oh, she was possessed!
1: She said she didn't feel negative energy about it. It just felt like something was trying to tell them to get out, whether it's because... Yeah, they
0: temporarily used her as a channel.
1: Right, and whether it's because so many people died there, and it's just like, we don't want you to get diseases and die, or it's just like, get out while you can. Who knows?
0: My then, aunt, If I were I her, I would have left right after that.
1: Well, she had a few other experiences. Another member on the group took a photo and captured a photo of a man standing to the left of a window who has sunken in eyes and these protruding cheekbones. And it's very eerie looking, which is just sad as he was probably a patient.
0: Yeah, he was probably malnourished or sick.
1: Yeah, and died on the island.
0: In the afterlife, that's a very scary look, but I mean... Very sad sad. to think about someone who looks like that in living real flesh version. Right. At
1: another point, Allison and the group were going to another room. And Allison was about to walk in the room when her feet just would not move. And she just got overwhelmed with a sense of sadness. And she just knew she shouldn't go into that room. So she didn't. On another occasion, a technician on the island heard voices and smelled burning candles. She went to the room, but it was empty. And another night she heard a she heard children crying out to their mothers late at night when no one else was inside the building. That's Which is, is so heartbreaking. So
0: heartbreaking.
1: Cause think about it, like these children were ripped from their families after spending weeks on a ship to going to a place that they had no idea about.
0: And they're just so and confused and they're calling out for their moms still. Exactly. Years and years later. Mama. It's so sad. But yeah, Mama. so Ella's is silent. <laughs>
1: So sad. Uh, But yeah, Ellis Island was listed as one of the most haunted landmarks, but most of the experiences were uh, emotional sensations that people felt while on the island. So because of that, I decided to throw in something extra about the Statue of Liberty, which is about a pirate.
0: A pirate? For you, Corinne. For me? uh,
1: I don't approve of you marrying this one, but there was someone who posted a link on our Facebook page of a pirate who I read his description and I was like, oh my god, like, I would, I could totally get behind Corinne and marrying this pirate.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm sure Andrew would not appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I should really, you know, try not to have my hopes and my eyes set on a pirate, but maybe explore more of the people that are living, the breathing people with blood and flesh, maybe? You should try Hello Flesh, <laughs> the new subscription service for people who have bones and flesh on their body if you can't get a date with the living try hello flesh use our promo code tgog for two free dates
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're guaranteed to be living
0: oh my oh god god
1: i love it i'm so down for that dating app i'd use okay. it <sighs> I- <laughs> you can go
0: it's kind of like how bumble has the bff mode or just like looking for a suitor mode you can go pirate mode or real life human mode
1: i love it oh my god okay so the statue of liberty and this pirate so statue of liberty is one of the most iconic landmarks in the u.s it was a gift from france dedicated on october 28th of 1886 and it was represent it was supposed to represent lady liberty and legend has it that an evil pirate haunts the statue of liberty and liberty island so in sixteen hundred in the sixteen hundreds a notorious pirate William Kidd supposedly buried his ill gotten booty yes his ill gotten booty ill-gotten booty on the island he lived in New York City for four years and then was later hung in London for piracy in seventeen o one but it's believed his pirate his pirate his pirate spirit <laughs> uh returned to the island to protect his treasure, so fast forward to the 1890s, when a military base called Fort Wood opened on the island. And in 1892, there were two soldiers whose names were Gibbs and Carpenter, and they had heard about the treasure, and they were determined to find it, so they consulted with a psychic to uh, discover the location of the treasure. If you were a
0: psychic and you knew where treasure was, was, (laughs) when you know where the treasure was, (laughs) why would you ever tell anyone where it is? Well, the thing is that maybe she hexed them. Like someone has Similar. hexed me? Yeah. Can you just
1: like chill out with the hex, whoever you are?
0: I don't know what I did. What did I say? What did I do? I'm sorry. I don't know.
1: Rude. I'll
0: go yell at them while I'm on hiatus too. <laughs> yeah,
1: thanks. <laughs> and I'll all become become
0: than just the person that hexed me <laughs> to yell at, please. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. So they consulted with a psychic who told them where the treasure was. And one night they broke out of their barracks late at night to go in search of the treasure. So they went to the location that they were told the treasure was at, and they started digging and digging and digging and digging. And then the shovel hit something, and they reach down and they find a chest. And then they also find a skull with the chest. So they start pulling them out. So they start pulling this out, and on the the back on the base, all of the soldiers are awoken by a blood curdling scream. <laughs> yeah. Of, of
0: so they the ghost.
1: Well, they run towards the scream and they find Carpenter in hysterics, like rocking back and forth on the ground. And Gibbs just passed out on the ground. When the men come to, they both give different accounts of what they saw upon finding the treasure. Carpenter said he saw a red and wingless demon, while Gibbs said he saw a monster with horns, wings, and a barbed tail. And then right in front of their eyes, the skull and treasure disappeared. So that's why Carpenter screamed.
0: Oh, it makes me wonder though if, like, I can't help but picture if there was an onlooker, someone would just look down and see these two guys with shovels in a trance because maybe the psychic put this sort of spell on them where they thought that they were digging and digging up treasure and seeing this demon, but really they were just standing there in a trance, like doo doo doo, seeing this vision, and then one of them screamed and one of them passed out,
1: or the psychic wanted them to do all the heavy lifting, made them dig it up. She pops out of like the woods and is like, "Thanks for the treasure." I'm and then like makes them see these visions and then disappears with the treasure. Or did Captain William Kidd make a deal with the devil and the devil is helping protect his treasure?
0: Ooh, maybe the devil was distracting and the kid guy, the pr- prince, and oh, wait, what's his name, pirate? <laughs> the prince, <laughs> the prince. He is your prince. My prince. <laughs> I just picture him being like, you know, he's looking out, looking on the land. Like, is anyone near my treasure? And then he sees him and he's like, shit, he's kind of overweight. And he hoo, 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 hops over. <laughs> and then he just ah, scares one and then punches the other one in the throat. And then he grabs his treasure. It's very possible.
1: Um, I actually believe, and this is a uh, fact I will say confidently. That is not a fact, but it's what I believe. So I'm going to believe it's a fact in my mind. Um, I think that Lady Liberty And the Statue of Liberty is actually on top of the treasure, and so Lady Liberty is protecting William Kidd's
0: treasure. Oh, quite the Mm -hmm. theory you have there, Sabrina. Thank you, Yoda. That would be really, that's so Hollywood movie of you to think of. I know. National treasure of me. It's so national treasure.
1: Nicolas Cage, come find me.
0: Come find me. (laughs) (laughs) I just picture you, like, running and hiding in various Spots on that island,
1: just like playing hide and seek. Okay, like peeking out.
0: Oops, can't catch me. me.
1: <laughs> but other people have reported seeing spectral lights that float independently around the Statue of Liberty, and it's not uncommon for people to see lights or ghostly faces peeking out from Lady Liberty's crown. So I wonder. Ooh,
0: that's creepy.
1: I know, but I wonder if it's William Kidd, like atop his new ship, which is the Statue of Liberty, and he's looking out over the city.
0: Oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. You are onto something. This is why all of my facts
1: are correct. (laughs) (laughs) If you believe in
0: yourself hard enough,
1: others will too. (laughs) Should we read listener stories?
0: Yeah, we should. Let me find an email. (coughs) Oh, are you okay? No, I'm just dying. It's fine. Okay. Well, if you die, maybe. What do you think will happen in the afterlife? What do you think you'll see? Do you, Will you meet pirates? Will you? I don't know, man. What meet if meet Peg and Twizzle?
1: What if all of the people? Who have died? Who are Hollywood actors? Are actually making movies in the afterlife? But it's like all the stars from all the years, like James Dean.
0: Oh my God! And then, and then when you pass over to the other side, they collect you and they shuffle you into this old old theater with the red velvet seats, and they give you some popcorn and they're like, "Watch this oh movie." My and then the movie starts. It's like the click, 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 like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Three, school. two, one. With like the staticy screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes on and it's all like whistling. Doo, 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 doo. It's like a little cartoony. It's like, you are dead. Welcome to hell. <laughs> yes, it's like the cartoons mixed with the actual people, almost like a Sesame Street sort of thing. And everyone's yeah. together, like the Muppets. And then as soon as the thing ends, they shuffle you out. And the cartoons are actually the, also the ushers. And it's just pig cartoons. <laughs> like, come on, let's go. Get out of here.
1: Oh, man, I can't wait to figure it out.
0: Oh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> What are you looking forward to in life, Sabrina? I'm looking forward to dying because I hear they have great movies (laughs) on the other side. I wonder if you get to stay in like these amazing penthouses or like little cottages. Have you seen The Good Place? No. You should watch it. It's
1: really funny. Okay. Ted Danson is not it. It's really good.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. I'll read this one. It is Uh called A Real Spooker. New England Does Not Disappoint. That is true. You know that well. I do. Hello, Corinne and Sabrina. Great job on the podcast. Ghosts in the Burbs turned turned me on to TGOG, and I'm so glad I found you. (laughs) Thanks, Liz Sauer from Ghosts in the Burbs. I asked my family members for their ghost stories over the holidays, and I heard a few ghostly anecdotes, but only one came together as a whole, fully formed ghost story. It starts as a true crime report, and then it ends with a ghost story. The best combination in the world. Into that. My father's family comes from a small town in New Hampshire. I would like to know which town in New Hampshire. You do <laughs> not specify. The homestead is a 1700s farmhouse on top of a hill, and the area has changed very little since he was a child. He was 14 in 1962 when a series of arson fires destroyed barns all over the countryside. Everyone was frightened, fearing that it was only a matter of time before their farm was struck. Indeed, Please. there were many farms on that hilltop, and it proved to be an irresistible target for the arsonist. Uh- One night, just after Thanksgiving, four farms on the hill were set ablaze. My father's family ran to assist their neighbors, and they instructed my dad to stay behind to guard the barns. He stayed at his post for hours that night, ready to fend off the arsonist. Fortunately, he didn't need to. My family's farm was spared. When the adults returned home, they had terrible news. The neighbors' farms were destroyed. Many animals were killed. No. And worst of all, the superintendent of the neighboring farm had died trying to rescue the animals. Oh, that's so sad. As the fires blazed, the farm superintendent ran into the burning barns over and over again to rescue cattle and sheep. And with the farmer, the superintendent had rescued over 30 cattle when smoke overtook him and he lost his life.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: Six cattle, 30 sheep, and dozens of chickens remained trapped inside the burning barns. The superintendent had adult children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Investigators suspected mysterious fires from as early as July 1961 that were related to the Thanksgiving 1962 fires. There were nine fires in all. Wow, that's so many. That's so many. All of their livelihood just vanished in flames.
1: Gone.
0: Yeah. Many families lost their livelihoods since the fires destroyed animals and equipment on working farms. Newspaper articles from December of 1962 reported the damage from the four Thanksgiving fires totaled $250,000, which is over $2 million today. That's a lot of damage. An investigator stated that many residents thought they knew the perpetrator's identity, but he said that he would not condemn a man in the papers based on speculation, and nobody was ever tried for the crimes.
1: I just can't imagine.
0: It's crazy that they would have a hunch— and then
1: I wonder why no one was ever tried for it.
0: I mean, maybe it was more speculation. Like there was one person that just kind of liked fire too much right. or something, but it had kind of pyro sort of tendencies, but didn't actually oh. ever do anything that anyone saw. So you couldn't say, like, as much right. as it seems like it could be that person, you can't say that it is. Oh, it's so sad. Jump ahead to early 2000s when a friend of our family was living in the farmhouse She was home alone late, but was awake upstairs when she heard frantic banging on the kitchen door accompanied by screams for help. She hurried to the door, but by the time she got downstairs, there was nobody there. She looked up the road and saw a man sprinting up the hill. As she called after him, he vanished. She believes that it was the superintendent running to his neighbor's homes to get help. I learned quite a bit while preparing this story. My dad had found the newspaper articles, which I'd never read before, and after 56 years of retelling, the tragic losses experienced by the community were muted in my family's legend. The familiar names and places in the articles made the fires as clear to me as if I had been alive at the time myself. There's a creepy coda to this tale. As I was getting into the history and learning more about the fires, I had the papers out on my desk and the story was in the front of my mind. One night, I was soundly asleep at my house, which was not the farmhouse, and I heard banging on my kitchen door with a woman's voice crying for help. When I went to check, nobody was there, and I could see no cars on the road from the window. We live way out on the country. There are no pedestrians walking by at night. Was that a nightmare caused by my research? Residual energy from some past accident? Some very stealthy person trying to scope out my house? An actual emergency? Keep up. The fun stories, friends, stay spooky, Kendra.
1: Or black-eyed kids.
0: Or black-eyed kids. Wow, that's so scary. I mean,
1: it could have just been a nightmare fueled by her research, but, you know, we don't
0: rule anything out here. No. And, too, like, this tragedy is a part of her family. Like, she said they have the newspaper articles. Her family was there. Her dad was guarding the barn. Like, it could maybe. Her doing this research sparked some sort of attraction. I don't know how to word what I'm trying to say. Like a connection between her and the spirits. Right, right, exactly. And so the spirit went to visit her. She's all of a sudden more open to that event. And they're trying to let her know what happened and replay the events for her firsthand.
1: I just feel sad that the superintendent, or, or it appears that the superintendent is reliving that night.
0: Right. That's, oh, that heightened sense of anxiety and fear and panic right. that he had felt that night, and he is now living it over and over and over. Right. Oh, it's so Unless, of course, it does make me wonder if, so their family friend that was staying at the farmhouse that, that heard the screams for help and saw him sprinting up the hill, it makes me wonder why. When she was there, because I wonder if it was around Thanksgiving. Like, if this is some sort of residual energy thing, just playing in a loop every year on the anniversary or something like that. Huh. Almost like how when we did the ghost ships episode, there was a ghost ship that every fifty years will appear.
1: Right on the anniversary. That's true. On the anniversary.
0: That's interesting.
1: (coughs) I prefer that just for the sake of the superintendent's soul.
0: I know, because that's so sad. Yeah. And he did. He saved so
1: many animals, right? And he tried mm-hmm. his hardest, and he sacrificed his life in order to do so.
0: This whole episode so is just a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Our poor From editing. Our <laughs> poor editing. The poor, recording, <laughs> our poor recordings. The microphone switching. The depressing Peggy. stories.
1: Yeah. Well, I have a another story or a listener story. This is from Brooke and the subject line is my time as a cemetery research intern. What? that is
0: the coolest internship.
1: So cool. Ever. Okay. It she's, she should write a book. Hey y'all. I've been binging your podcast after discovering yesterday. And I'm so in love with your appreciation of the paranormal. I couldn't wait to send you some stories of my own from when I was an intern researching cemeteries at a national park in rural Tennessee slash Kentucky. A few years ago, I was responsible for locating and documenting nearly 60 cemetery grave sites in Big South Fork National River and Recreation Area, which is in the Appalachian foothills, and stuffed with cultural artifacts and history from traveling Native Americans, good old backcountry folk, and coal miners. It's crazy that she is responsible for documenting that.
0: I know. That's wild. She's
1: making history. That's amazing.
0: It reminds me. Someone just posted in our Facebook group. I believe it was in our Facebook group. Yeah, about that that excavation site, that construction that was happening for a not school site, but the construction that was happening underneath the school, and they just uh found like sixty unmarked graves. Right.
1: Oh, it's so eerie. And people were like, "That school is one hundred percent going to be haunted." Okay, Brooke says, the land has so much blood, sweat, and tears from how hard people have worked to survive in the treacherous river gorge with steep cliffs and deadly snakes. So my job was basically driving around or hiking out to remote graves, sometimes miles from living humans, and taking pictures and names. A lot of folks are pretty nosy in that part of the country, so, when I, so often when I told them what I was doing out there, I'd get all the gruesome details of how people died out there. As you all know, tragedy tends to keep spirits around, and there is plenty of tragedy in the Big South Fork, which is what we were just talking about, Yeah, heavy Mm -hmm. emotions. When I would first show up at a cemetery, I would almost immediately be hit with either warm and friendly or really uncomfortable vibes, regardless of the weather. There was this one spot that was constantly dreary and dark from tree coverage, but the family buried there always made me feel so peaceful and welcomed. On the flip side, there was another spot I remember feeling like there were unhappy beings behind the trees watching me, despite the cemetery being extremely well lit on a bright and sunny day. That juxtaposition between the darkness with the happy feeling and the fear with the sunniness, like sunny, bright sky.
0: Right. Yeah, that she's around this darkened grave, and then she feels okay, but when she's out in the sun, right. she feels like people are watching
1: her. It's poetic. Uh, only one ever made me feel so threatened that I had to hide in my truck for a while. And it was the largest home of children graves in the park. Those kids did not like me, but they may have had a reason not to. So earlier into the internship, I was going to a gravesite lovingly referred to by the locals as dead girl. Grave." after a young girl whose family was staying in the area while waiting out the winter on the way to Oregon, the little girl's father told her to stay inside the cabin while he and her uncle went to chop wood. But she followed him anyway, and a tree that they had just felled crushed her.
0: Oh her, my God! Oh, that's horrible. I know. Such an awful death, and
1: something to I witness know. too.
0: Oh, poor
1: girl. And she just wanted to spend time with her dad and uncle. I know. Her grave consisted of a headstone and a footstone, which was very common in this region, and was just into the woods off a frequently used road in the park. The path had been lightly flagged by a coworker who enjoyed finding lost graves in her spare time. Love her. Mm -hmm. And while I was following the flags, I had to pee. I'd become quite used to dropping my pants in the middle of the woods after doing a quick scan of the surroundings. But this time my scan wasn't thorough enough. Oh no. Oh no. Midstream. I realized I was peeing in between the headstone and the footstone of the dead girl grave.
0: Ooh. Oh, I'm sure the girl doesn't. I'm sure the girl understands that she didn't intend. to I know she says, I've made so many apologies to her
1: since then. And I think we're on good terms, but she or another ghost might be following me now. And she doesn't clarify on that. So I, I wonder why she thinks that and what has happened around her. I know, but she says, I'll finally get to the spookier part of that summer with the dead. I was living in a cabin in the woods with a few other folks who were also working temporarily in the park We had been told by other park employees who had also spent time in the cabin that it was haunted, banging on exterior walls, a face of a man in the window, etc., but we hadn't had any instances of our own yet. One night, all my roommates were gone, either on mini-vacations or conferences, and I had to spend the night by myself. The oddity about this cabin is that it had two separate two-bedroom apartments with lockable doors joined by one common living room space. I, of course, being scared shitless to sleep alone, was on high alert for any bumps in the night. While I was laying in bed about to settle in for the night, I distinctly heard the sounds of two of my roommates open the front door, toss their keys on the table while chatting. One of the voices was of a roommate who I was currently dating, now married to, but I'll keep calling him boyfriend for the sake of the narrative. But I had just chatted with him on the phone a couple hours prior while he was out of state with our other roommate at a conference. I knew it couldn't have been them, but I heard their voices so clearly chatting in the living room. I love ghosts, but I am not a brave woman, so I stayed planted in bed facing the wall so not to see anything I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that, too. Just nuzzle de- deeper into your blankets.
0: But then you're also exposing your back or, like, the other side of you, you know? Ugh, it's a tough situation. And how could you ever bring yourself to turn back around and look? Because what if you turn your head and then something's right there in <sighs> from your face?
1: No. Uh... Okay, she says, when they got home, I told my boyfriend what happened and his eyes got wide. He told me that when his friend was visiting the cabin a month prior, they were alone in the cabin one day. My boyfriend was showering and left his, ha- his friend hanging out in his bedroom. When my boyfriend left the bathroom, he found his friend in the living room with a puzzled look on his face. His friend said he had heard the front door open and keys drop on the table and thought it was me or one of our other roommates coming home. And he had come into the living room to say hi, but no one was there and no other cars were parked in the front of the cabin but my boyfriend's. Whomever this ghost was, they loved to in, imi- they loved to imitate our daily habits, and I honestly find it pretty endearing. It's like they were trying to fit in with our little group and be part of a, the living world again.
0: Ah, oh, yeah, Which
1: is sweet. It's a sweet thought, but it is. We've it's heard... just trying to like
0: live a normal life, be your roommate, have a good time.
1: <sighs> I know, but we've just heard so many instances where things imitating are evil and malevolent and leading to something darker.
0: That's true, but I also think that that's not always the case because in my house, for example, there were plenty, plenty of times throughout the whole time that we've lived there where my mom has heard my voice or my brother say, Mom. Yeah, that's true. It just worries me, but she's fine. So to wrap up the saga,
1: the big South fork called such a dear part of my heart because I could feel the ancestral ties to the land, through the presence of the dead. When death could happen so quickly and bizarrely in the backcountry, which is a whole other book of stories, it took a special type of person to make the wilderness their home before modern technology. My boyfriend slash husband and I ended up getting married at a hostel chariot creek lodge in the park that just happened to be home to my favorite of the cemeteries we even have some wedding photos taken amongst the gravestones as his friends had lovingly called me cemetery girl when he introduced me to them thanks for reading brooke i just i think her appreciation for documenting these lives is so beautiful
0: that's true because she's very respectful of the grave sites and of the dead and she almost like I feel like she almost like talks to them out there, right? And I she mean, she had to s- apologize to the little girl.
1: <laughs> and she says she's like you know she spent a lot of time alone out in areas that were far away, miles away from any civilization. That I'm sure she did find solace in company with spirits. Sure, hope so, guys. If you have any ghost stories, they can be sad, they can be series of unfortunate events, they can be happy or anything, you should email them to podcast at
0: gmail.com. Please also keep me in your thoughts, me specifically, (laughs) because I'm the one that's been hexed. Uh, And if you've been the one hexing her, just stop. Pray for my audio equipment. That's more of what we should
1: pray for. Yeah, maybe just dump it in holy water. baptize your microphone
0: <laughs> say a few hail mary's over it rub the rosary on it get better uh we uh, have, social, have media. social media we have instagram we have twitter we have a facebook page you can like a facebook group that is closed and private that you can request to join um and that's where You can can post
1: freaky things. Yeah. You
0: can do whatever and it won't show up on your newsfeed to all your other Facebook friends. And then also we, again, we post different things on all three different Mm -hmm. social media accounts. So if you're only following one, check out the others because you should.
1: And we also love to interact with our listeners. So please tag us or send us messages on any of the platforms and we will respond to you. We try to respond to everything. Um, But only send your ghost stories to our email, otherwise we won't read them. Right. On the podcast.
0: And then, oh, please rate and review us. Yes. Uh, I just, how many times do I have to say it? How many times does she have to tell you guys? Help her out. Treat me like your mother. When a mom tells you to do something, you do it the first time. But remember what happened to Peg and Twistle when she got negative reviews. We don't want negative reviews. Right. Lift our spirits. Lift them up with the Lord. (laughs) and we will see you you on the other other side. side very spooky